Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash POS for a $1 per month trial. Welcome to the Sunday edition of CNN Five Things. I'm David Rhine. Imagine this. You're walking down the street or taking the bus or the train. You're minding your own business. You're going about your day, passing by people in the city that you always pass by. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, someone starts yelling at you or violently punching you, or in one particular case in New York City, attacks you on the head with a hammer just because of how you look. This is the fear many Asian Americans, and especially Asian American women, say they deal with every single day. And many say that fear has only grown in recent weeks after a number of violent attacks in multiple cities. So over the next two weeks, we're going to dig into this in a special two-part series. We're going to look at what's sparking these incidents, how they are igniting a conversation around public safety, and examine why they are so rarely labeled as a hate crime. We're going to kick things off this week with CNN's Natasha Chen. She's a national correspondent for us based in Los Angeles. Hi, Natasha. Hi. And I wanted to talk to you because you've been following up on a story you covered last year that I think really put this issue of AAPI hate in the national spotlight, the Atlanta area spa shootings. You might remember this. Eight people were killed in those attacks and six were women of Asian descent. So, Natasha, what has this last year been like for the families of those victims? All right. So I'm going to do audio as well. Yeah. So I traveled back to Atlanta where I was based last year when these spa shootings happened to talk to the family of young AU. She is one of the women who was killed in one of the Atlanta spas on March 16th, 2021. What what have you been told about that? What was that day like for you? Well, I definitely remember the day. Her son tells me she's actually the last person who was killed. She was working at Aromatherapy Spa. He said she was minding the front of the spa and opened the door when the gunman arrived to say hello or greet the person coming up. And, and um, he tells me that's when she was shot. Um, I'm learning all of this about her through her son, Robert Peterson, who's now actually living in the Norcross, Georgia house that she used to live in. Upon her death, she um, you know, left the house to Robert and his brother. So that was a really emotional space to be in. I could tell that there were a lot of her trinkets and signs of her in the house. But at the same time, he had, you know, he told me he had to repaint the walls and make the place sort of his own so that he wasn't sort of reminded of her death at every corner. People ask me, what do I miss most about her? I miss the small things. I miss her needing me to change the light bulb, update her computer, go to the store to pick up cat litter or carry a 24 case of water. He tells me that she is from Korea, um, that she worked at a train station ticket counter when she met Robert's father, uh, who is black and served at the time for the U.S. military and was stationed there. Um, Robert tells me they fell in love, they had their first son, and then moved to the United States. Like, I hadn't seen her that whole year. He regrets not having had more time with her that year when they were trying to stay isolated because of the pandemic. Because we were trying to be safe. And then now she's just not even here. And um, it was only toward the end of 2020 that she got this spa job mm. and had been there just a few months um, when she was killed. 
Now, the suspect in this case, he's being tried in two separate locations. He's pleaded not guilty to four of the killings in Fulton County, but investigators at the time said that the suspect admitted to the shootings. Remind me, what did they say was his reason for carrying out the attack? Investigators have said that um, this suspect claimed he had a sex addiction. What really stuck out to those of us covering this at the time is that the initial press conference included comments from the director of communications from the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office. And right off the bat, we, the press, were told that there was no racial bias. And that director of communications actually used the term bad day to describe what the suspect was experiencing. He understood um, the gravity of it. And he was pretty much fed up and had been kind of at the end of his rope. And um, and yesterday was a really bad day for him. And this is what he did. Yeah, I remember that. People were so outraged because they said, you know, what if this suspect was black? What, you know, how would this have been different if this was not a white man? And I think a lot of people also looked at the makeup of the victims. Six out of eight were Asian. I imagine that young AU's son has problems with not seeing this as racially motivated in some way. This has been a really heated debate since this happened. Um, And speaking to Robert Peterson, you know, he feels very strongly that this was a hate crime. Um, In speaking of that comment from the Cherokee County Sheriff's uh, PIO, you know, he said that there's a pattern to this. And Peterson feels when there's a white male suspect, his word has validity in a way that, you know, his mother or other victims don't. did not get that same benefit of the doubt. It was dehumanizing to our community. And again, but it also showed me that um, that's why calling this a racially motivated hate crime was important to me and my family, because that got to create the narrative first, right? They humanized this white male suspect. They took him and believed his word over facts. On the issue of a hate crime, this is complicated because of the way the Georgia state statute works, the hate crime enhancement can be based on bias against one's sex, one's gender, one's race, one's national origin, all of those categories. So there's currently no federal hate crime charge in this case, but there are two local cases, one based in Cherokee County where the first spa was located and the other in Fulton County, where the two Atlanta spas were located. Hmm. So in Cherokee County, there was no hate crime enhancement filed there, and the suspect pleaded guilty to killing four people. The Fulton County Atlanta case does have a hate crime enhancement attached. This Georgia hate crime statute came into being after the killing of Ahmaud Arbery, And by the Fulton County District Attorney attaching a state hate crime enhancement on this, this will be the first real test of that statute. And in speaking to several lawyers, uh, including the lawyer who represents a couple of the spa victims' families, there's some sense that there may be more success in this case, that a jury may more readily agree that this was a hate crime against women if you take that narrative of the sex addiction, rather than on the basis of race or national origin. But when I spoke to Robert Peterson, he said, you know, you can't decouple his mother's race from his gender. He says she was Asian and she was a woman. 
uh, and those two things cannot be separated. Oh, so Peterson and other advocates are saying, you know, forget the legal statutes, forget what any suspect may have written down or verbally admitted to. This is just so obviously a hate crime to us based on the history of our people. I think you'll find that sentiment throughout the AAPI community as well. There's an unfortunate history of hypersexualization of Asian women in this country. Uh, the stereotype that they're submissive, um, you know, ever since Asian women started arriving in this country. And so, uh, you know, in speaking to a lawyer, Jennifer Wu, out of New York, whose law firm Paul Weiss actually represents a number of recent um, New York attack victims who are Asian, you know, she tells me that this submissive stereotype and perhaps hypersexualized stereotype makes Asian women, um, you know, vulnerable to a lot of violence and threats. One of my partners uh, characterizes it as Asian women need to have their head on a swivel, which is they need to be aware of their surroundings, looking left and right, and be worried that someone might attack them. And she also noted that, you know, domestic violence in this way is not unique to Asian women, but... It is coupled with the fact that these past couple of years we've experienced this pandemic um, where there's been a lot of blame on people of Asian descent. And those factors all combined together is kind of creating this climate where the AAPI community can sense this fear and tension and can sense a potential bias in the spa shootings case that may not be as obvious as someone just saying they don't like Asian people. We don't know if that's true. In fact, I think that's what makes a lot of hate crimes really difficult, is that you require documentation, either spoken or written, somehow somebody witnessing, somebody saying that they have a bias. And what Jennifer Wu was telling me is that she feels the purpose of having hate crimes is that as a society, we feel that certain crimes deserve harsher punishment because the impact a specific community that's much greater than just the one victim or the victim's family. You know, we even talked about the term hate. Yeah, so I, I think that in the same way that um, when we ask people, why do you love me? It's hard to pinpoint why you love someone. I think it's also hard to pinpoint why you hate someone. And that there is no one answer for why a particular person might have been attacked. Hate can be quite narrow to define. And she said, you know, oftentimes if you ask somebody why you love someone, there it could be a complex variety of reasons. And hate is the same way. It's not necessarily one specific feeling. The law is not structured in a way that acknowledges the reality that the reason we love and hate people is for a multitude of reasons and not a single exclusive reason. And one way the law could be better about this is I think it should say that if hate is a part of the motivation, not a substantial part, but a part of the motivation, then we should be able to prove a hate crime. So when you just talk about the way that a community feels these victims have been dehumanized, the way a community feels dehumanized when a public official says the perpetrator just had a bad day, that's sort of the all-encompassing impact and feeling that may not be represented by just the words hate crime. Natasha, thanks very much. Thank you.
Next week, in part two of our special series, we're going to take a closer look at how AAPI hate is sparking difficult conversations around public safety in New York City. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Here's something else happening this week. The 94th Academy Awards are tonight. Now, while many controversies around invites and the telecast have dominated the pre-show conversation, the movies will, at least hopefully, take center stage tonight. Netflix's The Power of the Dog, one of my favorite movies of 2021, for what that's worth, leads the pack with 12 nominations, including Best Picture. The Sunday edition of CNN Five Things is produced by Paula Ortiz and me, David Rind. Our production manager is Matt Dempsey, our senior producer is Mohamed Darwish, our supervising producer is Greg Peppers, and the executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. Special thanks to Anne Lagamayo. Remember, we'll have five things updates for you throughout the day tomorrow and all week long. You can find us on your smart speaker or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll talk to you next time. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts.